been a long week. <laughs> it's been a very long week. How's Dragon Prince going? I have finished and I loved every second of it and I need more. Like I need it in my veins now. Season four cannot come fast enough. No. Is there a date? I, I didn't look it up. Is I there have a date? No idea here. Let me look it up right now. That Please, way we don't have to follow you. up on the follow up on the follow up. <laughs> because I, I feel like if we talk about Dragon Prince in our pre-show for too many episodes, we're just going to turn into a Dragon Prince podcast. I'm sure our listeners would appreciate that. That's post Cora. That's post Cora. Yeah, we, we have well no post Cora, <laughs> we're gonna have new Avatar verse stuff. Yes. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello and welcome to the Pi Show. I'm your host, Kelly. And I'm Colton. And this week we are talking about book two, chapter five, Avatar Day. No ooh this week. I'm not no giving ooh. an ooh. I'm I, not giving okay. an ooh. I was, I was we, we ooed last week. We can't we oversaturate ooh the ooh market. It was, it was a spooky week. We needed to ooh. This week, Aang must clear up a wave of anti-Avatar sentiment and atone for something he did in the past. I know it's a tone like, you know, atonement, but mm -hmm. for some reason, my brain forgot that that was a word for a minute there. And I was like, he must clear up a tone that he did in the past, like, like, a, like a note or pitchy. like a kind of, yeah, yeah. Or like, you know, he said something and the connotation wasn't quite right. So the tone in the room shifted. Yeah. I was just thinking, I got lost in my brain for a second thinking like, do I want a new headcanon that airbenders have perfect pitch? Oh, they definitely have perfect they pitch. They definitely have perfect pitch, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's my they, thought. They just bend the air in their larynx to achieve perfect pitch. Like, that's my thought. I, it just came to me and I just needed to kind of format it so i spaced for a second but i think i like that yeah there i mean what is sound but air vibrating persevering? no vibrating <laughs> <laughs> you can't say persevering i almost said persevering <laughs> it's not air persevering it's vibration what is sound but vibrations persevering through the air <laughs> actually accurate <laughs> but yes, they definitely have perfect pitch. Great. Cool. They probably... Do we ever see an airbender, like, use airbending to make a big boomy voice? Because that probably is a that, thing. Um, Actually, kind of, and potentially in this episode, Kiyoshi does it. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a Kiyoshi thing. Because I was thinking, when yeah, I was, Kiyoshi, like, thinking, Kiyoshi, like, big boomy voice, I was thinking, like, Lord of the Rings, you know, when Saruman is yes. trying to make the storm, call the storm, and you mm -hmm. can hear his voice on the wind. Like, that is an airbender technique. Yeah, no, truly, I think, I think in book one of Avatar Kiyoshi, she does make her voice louder using it. But I could be wrong. Um, but it seems like a very Kiyoshi thing to do. Yeah, or, like, using airbending to throw your voice. So many options. This and is this why is I'm glad we have Avatar Studios to tell us new stories <laughs> for creative uses of airbending. And one of those stories I want is Kiyoshi, and this is a Kiyoshi episode. Watching the recap this week, I could not help but think, oh, this is a Kelly episode. <laughs> we got Sokka, we got Suki, we have Kiyoshi. Yeah. All your faves. Yes, yes. Not enough Suki for me, as in they just talk about her and they don't show her. But just to know that she's there out in the universe, very happy about that. I mean, I know she's not in it. They just talk about her. But it definitely like the way that they talk about her, like she's off doing the thing out in the world. Mm -hmm. That to me is very much like, oh, this the, this is Chekhov's Suki. You don't mention her if she's not going to show up later. I love that Chekhov Suki. Amazing. Yes. Yes foreshadowing is no longer foreshadowing foreshadowing <laughs> is just check off doing things <laughs> but yeah this is very much i'm glad that you felt it was a kelly episode it had all the hallmarks of what you love to shout at me about 
That is true. That is true. It's a lot of like Kelly shoutings. Although, weirdly enough, this is not on the Kelly definitive rewatch list. I'm surprised. I'm genuinely surprised. So, Kelly, I don't know about you, but to me, this episode, something about it just had a different energy than the mm-hmm. last s- several episodes, I guess, most of season two that we've seen so far. Yeah, I, I think it does give off a very different episode. This episode actually isn't referred to in a recap at all either, is what I learned. Um, Kind of similar to uh, The Great Divide. It's not really referenced back to. So it's kind of self-contained, at least for Aang and the gang. But I was taking a look at the director, and uh, the director is Lauren McMullen. And once you said the that things felt a little, like, different, I wanted to see anything else she had directed or... um, what else we've seen from her. And there are some very interesting ones that now that I see them, I understand the cadence of this episode a bit better. Oh, I'd love to hear that. Why don't you read off the list? All right. So she started with the Southern Air Temple. Okay. Then Winter Solstice Part 1, The Spirit World with Hebei. Uh-huh. Then number three, The Storm. I'm sensing a theme here. Then... The Deserter. Definitely sensing a theme here. The Siege of the North, Part 1. Okay, it's not just the theme is, these are my favorite episodes. (laughs) The Cave of Two Lovers. Yeah, uh, so... Avatar Day. And wait, I do want to mention one more that I think is important. She will also direct Zuko Alone. I knew you were going to say that. Okay, so she directs... (laughs) All of my favorite episodes that weren't directed by Dave Filoni. <laughs> and a lot of, like, lore-heavy world-building episodes. Yeah. yeah. She was also a storyboard artist on a bunch of those as well. Okay, yeah. I Oh, we're going to have to start tracking who directs what episodes. <laughs> That's going to have to be a thing that we talk about. Um, I'll give the last three that she directs. Uh, the Desert, which... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, City of Walls and Secrets, and Lake Laogai. Is that all that she directs this season, or is that all she directs for the rest of the show? For the rest okay. of the show. She doesn't come back for season three. No. Uh, actually, yeah, no. But also, I would like to point out, she does write one. She does write in an episode, and it is The Tales of Bossing Say, one of those stories is hers. I don't want to tell you which one. I want you to be able to guess when it comes up. Anyways, I really like her work, and uh, I am excited. Yeah, I think we should start paying it a little more attention to... The directors. Yeah. yeah. I think that's that needs to be a conversation that we have more regularly. This is the second episode in a row where it's it's drawn our attention. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to, to talking about that going forward. But yeah, it's, it's a different energy. And, you know, early on, I, I chalked it up all to... Sokka losing his boomerang. <laughs> it's it's a truly sad moment. It does feel different. Like he, he's not boomerang guy anymore. He's ponytail guy. Yeah, and it changes the dynamic. Like jokes aside, it changes his place in the group. Yeah, and he ends up. I feel like he ends up trying to find his new identity throughout. Yeah, with interesting results, I think. And interesting props. Really, yes. props are important. Yes. Well, he's a firm believer in stuff. Hello, dear listener. Future Colton here in the editing room. Kelly and I wanted to take a second to give you a heads up on the conversation we're about to have regarding the dehumanization that Aang experiences from the village in this episode. This conversation happens largely through the lens of the pronouns that they use to describe Aang and the Avatar. If that is a discussion that you would rather not listen to, we understand. We've put in a chapter marker so that you can skip forward right to the cute animal alert. If your podcast player does not support chapters, we have also included the timestamp for the cute animal alert in our show notes, which you can find at thepieshow.fm slash 25. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of the show. So we have this town, mm-hmm. 
with this Avatar Day celebration that we think is going to be all fun and games and yeah, special snacks, special snack. But like our expectations are subverted in this mild way, and it turns out that the floats are actually giant effigies. <laughs> yes, like oh yay, I'm a parade float that they set on fire and cheer about my demise. Oh God. <laughs> so here's my question to you: mm-hmm. If you're in this town. And they have a giant statue of you and past versions of you. And they start to burn it. Why would you consider jumping (laughs) on top of yourself and saying, I'm here? Like, what, what does Aang think is going to happen? So I think two things on this. I think Aang has this, you know, he's a 12 year old with a strong sense of right and wrong. And he wants to get the facts right. And so he wants to let people know I'm not bad because he's 12 and he just wants to be loved. But also, I think he is lulled into like a false sense of security just in his location alone. He's only ever known to really fear the like the Fire Nation. And that's still relatively new because he woke up out of an iceberg, you know, fairly recently. He's been pretty trusting of a lot of the Fire Nation to his detriment. Exactly. But this is an Earth Nation town. There are no Fire Nation guards, no Fire Nation anything showing. This is purely Earth Nation, and it is close enough for a day trip to Kyoshi Island. So why wouldn't he think that it's people excited about the return of the Avatar? Everywhere he's landed that has not been Fire Nation has been excited about the return of the Avatar. And this is the first time he runs into, uh, you know... People who may not like him. I mean, I get what you're saying, but at the same time, they're burning a giant statue of him. And he thinks he can help them understand that he is actually trying to help them. He thinks he can apply reason to this, but he doesn't realize the amount of hatred and vitriol that he is going up against. Hmm. Okay. I guess, yeah, that's... Oh, that does kind of make it a bit of a microcosm for the war, doesn't it? Yeah. I think, you know, it's it shows that there's a lot more nuance in this world than just here are the good guys, here are the bad guys. It's no, you know, sometimes the actions that you took as the avatar had negative consequences for anybody, not just the people that are considered the quote unquote bad guys. And that, you know, over time that can create this hatred and this, you know, that like they call it the anti-avatar se- uh, sentiment. And it's such a strong hatred that there's this piece of trivia that I read before I watched the episode. And I was like, mm, I, you know... Maybe I'm not going to notice it as much. But once I read it and once I watched the episode, I could not unsee, unhear. And it's that the mayor and the people of the town refer to Aang as it. They do not use pronouns for him besides it. And they dehumanize him. Yeah. And it's not just once. They refer to Kyoshi as she. They say she killed Chin the Conqueror. But when talking about Aang and him being right there, they say, you know, it destroyed everything. You put this in the show notes, and and we talked about it a bit before sitting down to record. And mm-hmm. I I did not pick up on that. I didn't catch it. It went in one ear and out the other. Yeah, and it was something that I had not originally seen. I mean, I hadn't watched this episode in a while, but it was something that was not in the front of my brain when originally watching or even when rewatching before. Yeah. But having read it, I cannot unsee just the fact that this hatred is so strong that it's worked its way into the language because to dehumanize someone like that by not calling them by their pronouns and not giving them agency in that way is an act of violence. It's a further act of violence. Yeah. And, and having that, dehumanization be so widespread as to be communally based like like you said it's not just the mayor it's the townspeople Mm -hmm. that are collectively dehumanizing a child like they yell out from the back and they say they say it's it's using it's air it's avatar powers it's using this it's using that and they they don't see Aang as a person. Yeah. And it is really frustrating for Aang. It's like, I'm right here. Listen to me. We can talk. 
but there is no discussion because they don't see him on an equal footing. He doesn't have the same rights they do. Yeah, it it just it was something that, again, is something that it's something that as a child, you don't understand why it's upsetting to you. And even like even watching it, you know, not prior to having read that piece of trivia, you don't understand why it's upsetting to you the way they're talking to him and about him, really until you kind of put those pieces together. So it brought a whole new context to the episode for me. Yeah. And I do really want to thank you for for sharing that with me, because I think, like, for me personally, recognizing that it is something I missed, that I, 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 didn't, I didn't catch that dehumanization, and that, I think, for me, really speaks to how insidious it is. Yeah. And it's something, again, like I said, I didn't recognize it until I had seen it put in front of me as well. And I think that's where both of us can kind of see where we're coming from a place of privilege and rewatch through the eyes of someone who ha- who will see that right away and see the struggle that Aang is up against. Cute animal alert. All right. Animals. We open with a beautiful little animal uh, moment. First of all, the mouth spider, the spider that is in Sokka's mouth. Terrifying. That'll give me nightmares. Yeah, not a fan. Not cute. Don't like it. Not cute. No, that is very much down on the list. Um, But Momo with that like nice save for his bro of grabbing the spider off of his mouth. Like that. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I also like Sokka's line right after he wakes up <laughs> with Momo's hand in his mouth <laughs> where he just looks at him and says, Momo, you have to be more respectful of my boundaries. And he's like, we've had this discussion before. The implications you know? of that line. This is an ongoing problem in their relationship. It's an ongoing dis- discussion between, you know, boundaries that they should have with each other. I feel like that's the theme of the episode this whole week. I very much this episode... I every every episode I grow more and more fond of the idea that Momo is truly Sokka's pet. Yes. <laughs> every single episode and this episode was no different. Just beautiful that they have those ongoing conversations and that, you know, uh Momo can tell that Sokka's having a bad time because he's, you know, sad he's missing his boomerang and just, you know, trying to help him out. Keep his spirits way. up. Yeah. Well, I mean, from Momo's perspective, that's one of his pets. Yeah. Just trying to take care of his I human. mean, if you had a pet with a spider in his mouth, you'd try to pull it out, too. <laughs> Their whole relationship hinges on food. <laughs> From the very beginning, that's what it is hinged on. So he's like, I-, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. You had food there. Yeah. But don't all human-animal relationships feed on that? Anyways, um, we don't get much We don't get much Appa, really. We don't get much Appa, like, screen time-wise. But mm-hmm. we get an interesting use of Appa. Really? How so? When Sokka and Katara get back to Kiyoshi Island, Appa acts as like herald of the group. Like the villagers on Kiyoshi Island know it's them because oh, it's yeah. Appa. Yeah. And that's really cool. Like it's the further, you know, we're not just revisiting places we've been, but the places we've been recognize that we're coming back mm-hmm. because of the giant flying bison. Yes. It is, you know. We're really pointing out that it's this big beacon of like, he's the only one who's who has a flying bison. People thought like, you know, flying bison, what like those don't really exist anymore. No, here it is. And it's being flown all over the world by the Avatar. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty conspicuous. I did like how when we go back in the episode where we go back to Kiyoshi Island, we also have the return of the Komodo rhinos. Yes. Well, the Komodo rhinos are also being ridden, ridden by the Rough Riders. Um, oh, yeah. The Rough Riders were at Kiyoshi Island. The Rough originally. Rhinos. Rough Rhinos. Sorry. Rough Riders. That's like, that's your, you're back in our reality. We need oh to stay God. in the Avatar reality. Yeah. Oh, my God. I don't know why my brain went there. So was, I don't think it was the Rough Rhinos. I think this is the first time we see like that group. Mm-hmm. But Zuko and his little battalion did did ride onto Kyoshi Island on rhinos. Yeah. So I'm thinking they must be native of that area. That's my thought. I thought they were a Fire Nation thing. 
Maybe they're more Fire Nation. Oh, now you're going to make me look it up. If they were native to the area, we would probably see Earth Kingdom people on them. We really only mm, see true. Fire Nation people on true. them. True. You make a good point. I'm going to agree with you that it's it's more a Fire Nation thing. Wow, you're, you're agreeing right. with me? That's it. I'm done. I'm done for the on night. On a cute animal alert. I'm <laughs> agreeing with you. Wow. Maybe we should keep the segment in here. Once in a blue moon. Um, let's see. We've got uh, another animal we've seen before, the ostrich horse. We see that carrying the uh, carrying the stagecoach. Uh, and then the two new animals. We have just a plain old chameleon. I looked it up. It's just a chameleon. Just a chameleon? Just a chameleon. Hmm. But I guess chameleons are odd themselves that they, you know, can change and adapt so well. That- Didn't we talk about just a chameleon in the deserter? Or was that just an iguana? I think it was just an iguana. They really don't hybridize the lizards. Not as much. Not as much. Although a a Komodo dragon is a lizard. It's a dragon. Lizard. And then we have one kind of new one, which is the elephant rat. That was cute. (laughs) I liked the elephant rat. I agree. I thought the elephant rat was cute. It It was a little bizarre at first. I couldn't kind of figure out what the mixture was. So when I was looking for it, I was like mouse and something. I thought it was like an anteater type thing. I mean, it had big ears and a trunk. You didn't go right to elephant. I went right to elephant. I was looking more at the snout than mm. the big the, ears. The trunk? Yes, yes. Well, in my brain, it was a snout. I don't know what my brain did then, but it said snout. It went, oh, it must be an, you know, anteater mouse. I was absolutely wrong. It was an elephant rat. And I'm going to say, huh. For my little prize that I do just for me each week, um, I'm going to say the elephant rat. Although Momo, gold star for saving your human from a spider in the mouth. Colton, I hope I hope your fake future dog would also save you from a spider in the mouth. <laughs> I would hope so. I would hope so. That's 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 a real friend. We'll we'll work on that trick for the future. Great, amazing! I can't wait to see how you pull off that trick. <laughs> With my fake future dog, that's how. <laughs> fake future dog. It's just pulling gummy worms from your mouth. At which, first. which I take. We need. I. So I'm going to derail this section now. Yeah, <laughs> but let's do it. Is it a? It's not a fake future dog. Like the dog is currently fake because it doesn't yet exist. But that's covered by the future. Like when you say fake yeah. future dog, it sounds like I'm not getting a future dog. I would like no. to have a future dog. Yes. The future dog will be real. It just is not currently. Yes. Yes. No, you thank okay. you for establishing that. Yes. Okay. But now we, now that, that the, has, we have that on the record, I think it's okay to call it the fake future dog because that's just fun. It rolls off the tongue. Fiction, it's a fictionalized version of the dog to come for you. That's what I think of it in my brain. I have a question for you, Colton. What's your question? How did you first feel seeing people who did not like the Avatar who weren't Fire Nation? So I kind of liked it. Okay. Which is, you know, I, that's, given the context of the conversation we just had, that sounds not great. No, no, I, I understand. Allow me to explain. Yeah. <laughs> and listeners, please bear with me. I, I'm, I have <laughs> a point here. Um, I like a universe with nuance. Mm-hmm. And I think... The, the fact that, you know, the, the world of Avatar, we, we know the Fire Nation is bad. We know the Fire Nation writ large is evil. Mm-hmm. We know that the rest of the world that stands in opposition to the Fire Nation is good. But just because they're good doesn't mean that every member of the rest of the world is always good, mm-hmm. is always right. And I like that. You know, that is shown in this episode in multiple ways. That's shown in this episode in the town that dehumanizes a child and is ready to boil that child in oil. There were various other, oh my goodness, so many yeah. um, on that torture wheel. Dear God. But, you know, and it, we're rewatching this episode, but for a first time viewer, it's shown in the possibility that <laughs> the a former avatar may have been a murderer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and honestly, rewatching, she kind of was. I think a little so bit. I I want to get so I think it's really interesting your perspective because when you first watch it, you were an adult. 
when I first watched it, I was a kid and I was like, why don't they get that the Avatar is doing good things for them? Why don't they understand? And I'm like, okay, well, they think the Avatar killed their guy. But maybe their guy was bad. Maybe he was bad. Like, like, but also maybe it's a misunderstanding. Maybe she didn't kill him. And this is, you know, bad Fire Nation propaganda. Who knows? And I was totally ready to defend Kyoshi. And she comes out and she's like, I did it. I killed Jin the Conqueror. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And little Kelly was like, okay, yeah, I guess the Avatar can make some pretty tough choices. Yeah. And it hadn't entered kind of my young mind that that would, that's supposed to be an option for Aang. It hadn't entered my mind yet. And so it, I was. <laughs> Very on a roller coaster of emotions the first time I watched this. Now I watch it and I'm like, oh, these people. Like, because, you know, I, I'm older and I understand that sometimes that, you know, there is nuance in the world as opposed to, you know, good and evil. It's a, yeah, it's a very different perspective. Yeah, especially when you're talking about conflicts that happened hundreds of years ago that, you know, the documentation may or may not be the most accurate. And you have people trying to exist on different sides of that conflict. Most accurate thing in the entire thing, though, was that giant effigy must have been Kiyoshi real life size. <laughs> <laughs> like Roku and Aang got some boost to their height. That Kiyoshi one, real life, true to life. To that end, the Chin the Conqueror statue was probably pretty close to one to one scale. It was a tiny statue. <laughs> in comparison to that effigy, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I do really like that, you know, we know the Avatar is supposed to be this person who exists kind of outside the rest of society with this higher duty to the world and, you know, maintaining order and balance and all that. But at the end of the day, they're still just a person. I think this was the episode where I first realized that the Avatar is not a force for good. The Avatar is a force for balance. Mm. And there's a difference there. Yeah. And this was the first time that young Kelly realized that difference. Balance isn't always pure good. You're not good. You're not bad. You're just nice. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's there's an interesting comparison to be made between, you know, the the conversation this week about the Avatar and, and their function in the world and where we're coming from last week. I mean, we were talking about Aang's duty to the balance of nature and, and the spirits and, you know, that we had that whole conversation about the call to adventure. Mm -hmm. And I think this week we're also seeing that on top of that duty that the Avatar has that, you know, we said was shoved in his face. Like this is a, I, I believe mm -hmm. what I said was um, this thing that you would otherwise normally do, like you have to do it. Yeah. Aang also has to, like, he learns this week that he has to kind of clean up the mess of his past lives. Yeah, yeah. He has to clean up his own messes and the messes of those that came before him. Mm-hmm. And he has to, it's each avatar in the cycle trying to rebalance what the avatar before them did. And that is, that is an ongoing thing in the lore of Atla, though, that each avatar is kind of rebalancing what the avatar before them did. One will focus more on the spiritual side and that will neglect the people a bit more. The next one will end up trying to, you know, get more in with the people and the spirits will feel left out. And it's this constant juggling act. And I feel like especially I know you've said that it's between kind of uh, people and nature, but I think there's three, I'm not going to say elements because then we want to be four elements, but I think <laughs> components, I, components. I think there's three components that we're kind of balancing here and there will be a fourth added in. Um, the, we're balancing the human side uh, and the sociological side. We are balancing the spiritual because there are the spirits who act and function and have their own agency uh, and world and ideas and everything. And then there's nature, which is the, the physical world itself. Uh, so they have those three components that the avatar really has to navigate and balance between. And then I would add the fourth that comes in during Aang's age, which is technology. And that that is something that will throw itself in there for the avatar to have to balance among all those other things. Yeah, I, I agree. And now I'm thinking about when, if ever, we actually see real, true 
balance across all of those different axes? I think you can get close, but it's really hard to uh, really hard with four four things constantly moving, constantly innovating, constantly changing, and constantly impacting each other. Zuko. We have more Zuko in this episode than last episode. Last episode, it was like, here's a little clip about Zuko, the end. And then we got that same exact amount of time at the recap of this episode. You know, I don't think we have enough Zuko this week, (laughs) but they definitely went for quality over quantity. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not the it's not the most Zuko, but it is good Zuko. Yeah. Blue Spirit is back and he is taking what he feels he is owed. Yeah. Now, my question, do you think that Iroh knows about the Blue Spirit at this point? Like does I feel like he knows? I definitely think he knows and he's playing dumb for Zuko's sake. Mhm. Mhm. I feel like I feel like it's mentioned at some point in front of Iroh by Zhao about a blue about the blue spirit attacking him and getting the avatar. Am I am I making that up? I'm trying to remember that. I think he said Iroh he says it there. to Zuko, but I was trying yeah. to remember if Iroh was there. Yeah, to I make think Iroh the was mental there. Connection. But I mean, if Zuko has the history with the blue spirit that you know we theorize that he does, and and mm-hmm. I think you said one of the the books confirms it or one of the comics confirms it. Yes. Um, then I think Iroh probably knew from the get go. Perception is kind of a thing that Iroh is good at. Yeah. Especially yeah. when it comes to Zuko. Well, something we never really kind of see is uh, Iroh's relation to Zuko's mom. Like we'll see, you know, mm. Zuko with his mom and his dad, but we never see like Zuko's mom, Ursa and Iroh and what their relationship was like, if anything, like how, you know, how they interacted. So I don't know how much he may have known about her to identify the mask as something that would be from her background. I like to think because he was also at war, too. Right. But Iroh's advice to Zuko at all points is so poignant, not just in this episode, but just in general. It's so poignant to what Zuko is going through at the time, not only as himself, but as the Blue Spirit. I have to believe that Iroh, whether or not, you know, he knows everything, I think he knows that Zuko is... Making poor choices. <laughs> making Not just making poor choices, but like he's a, he's a man who's torn. Yeah. And there's a part of him that the advice is getting through to, but because he can't reconcile that with himself, there is that act of putting on the mask. So this is actually funny about, you know, being torn. So it's five episodes in, and this is the first time in book two that Zuko mentions his goal of capturing the Avatar. I think that makes perfect sense. This, you know, it's it's taken this long. He's been on the run. He's had other things that he's kind of focusing that have been more important than capturing the Avatar. And before this, nothing has been more important than capturing the Avatar. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a question for you. Okay. Throughout this episode, we get, because of the prevalence of the Blue Spirit, we get a ton of Soongi horn. Yes, so much Soongi. And at this point, we're equating the Sungi Horn with the Blue Spirit as a character. And like the way you and I talk about him, we consider, I think, to a degree. I mean, I know I do, but I think you're on the same page. The Blue Spirit is a character somewhat separate from Zuko. Like we conceive of them as two personalities. Yeah, it's his own. It's his own way to dissociate from who he feels he needs to be. Right. Mm-hmm. So I was getting the sense this episode that Iroh and the Blue Spirit for... I think the first time in this show for me, we're sort of at odds with each other. Yes. They they feel like they're each standing on one of Zuko's shoulders and trying to, you know, pull him in their direction. And I just, 
I don't know. I wanted to talk about that because I find it so interesting because up until now, I have equated and like even in this conversation to a degree, I have equated the blue spirit with the part of Zuko that wants to listen to Iroh. So to see that, to see what I see as part of him going like being pulled away from Iroh, it's just fascinating to me. And I would equate the blue spirit as Zuko's own release in a way of his own uh, test of freedom. And Iroh gave him that first kind of taste of freedom outside of the expectations of his father. So that's why at the start, it feels like the blue spirit is very much aligned with Iroh's ideology because it is breaking away from his father. But this is very much leading to uh, Zuko breaking away on his own. It is giving him his own taste of freedom. There is now no expectation or obligation for him to need, want, receive the validation of his father. He still kind of wants it. But as the Blue Spirit, he is now testing his limits and his boundaries of what do I want? And in these moments where he feels he's at his lowest with, you know, partly last episode and then into this episode, episode, he wants to feel like him old, his old self. He wants to not feel powerless. And so he is going to take. He wants Iroh to be provided for because they're on the run from the Fire Nation. So he takes food and tea for Iroh. So this is a rebellious teen testing his boundaries. And at first you might think it it will align with the like somewhat rebel uncle. And it did. But now he's going to test his boundaries even further than where Iroh showed him they could be. Mm. And we'll see if he goes even farther into it or if he's going to set his own boundaries for the first time rather than anyone else's expectations. I think I partially agree with you. But while you were talking, like your ideas kind of changed what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> I don't know if if what I'm going to say is just what you were saying in different words, but I, cool. I, I'd like I to hear it, though. come back at you. Um, so... I think it's interesting. What I kept thinking about as as you were explaining your position to me was at the start of this episode, when we see the blue spirit, uh, he attacks the townspeople and, and takes their stuff. And it seems to be just like two ordinary townsfolk. And that's not something that we've seen from this version of Zuko. This seems much more like, you know, the version of Zuko that was still aligned fully with the Fire Nation. Where, you know, I'm more powerful than you, and I'm stronger than you, and you have something I want, and I'm going to take it. And if you want it back, you can try to take it back, but I'm more powerful, and so tough luck, it's mine. But later on, when we see the Blue Spirit again, that's not... He attacks a stagecoach with a guy inside that doesn't seem to be struggling quite as much as the townspeople might be. He seems a little better off. He's, you know, hoarding his gold, counting his riches. It feels very Robin Hood. It's coded like a, like something out of Robin Hood, which I think is a communication to the viewer that this transgression is not as egregious as the first one that we see. Because it's it's not innocence in the street. It's this guy counting his riches in a stagecoach with armed guards. I think that I'm starting to see the blue spirit as Zuko as the blue spirit in this episode as his, the beginning of his self-determination in a way. And I think that's why the blue spirit to me stands against Iroh. Because at this point in his journey, Iroh is a presence in Zuko's life because Iroh was assigned to be a presence in Zuko's life by Ozai, by the Fire Lord, by the Fire Nation, as a part of the exile. Zuko has to walk away from Iroh on Zuko's terms because that relationship does not exist on Zuko's terms right now. He wants to be alone so that he can decide who he's going to let in. 
He needs to be by himself first before he can let anyone else in. That way he can be sure that the decision to let people in is his own. I think you and I are on very sim- on very similar veins. Um, I know, think we're offset a little bit, but we're mostly there. I think we're both focused. I think I think we're both looking at the same thing. We are standing on the on the right. I'm standing at the left. Like we're looking at the same thing and just seeing like maybe like 75 percent of it, both of us, and missing the other 25 percent because um, I I absolutely agree with you that he's you know I think it's a part of setting his of testing his boundaries and then being able to set his boundaries. And I also see boundaries with people, let how, who you let in, who you do not let in. And he has not had the agency before. Now he, and he has it as the blue spirit and he uses it and he's going to test those boundaries. I think it's very much, we've got our rebel team pushing boundaries, pushing buttons with mom, except mom is uncle Iroh. Yeah. So I think we're on the same path. It'll be interesting to see him alone. And see what he does. I think we should get into the investigation. The townspeople are saying that Avatar Kiyoshi killed their leader and therefore Aang must pay for her crimes. And we've got Sokka trying to find his new identity as lead investigator for Defense Team Avatar. Elementary, my dear Katara. <laughs> I absolutely love the classic detective references of like of like, yeah, and trying to f- see who took the who took the jerky and we thought it was a polar leopard, but it was really old man Jarko wearing polar leopard boots. Jinkies. Jinkies. I mean, but if you if I know it's a bit but if you do listen to what he's saying, he's like, yeah, a polar leopard is much heavier. So therefore, it would be a lot deeper into the ground. However, it just wasn't light enough. He was wearing these boots. And I'm like, damn, he's on to something. Like, he actually, he's had this He in actually him. solved that one. I do, um, so listeners, you can't see this, but in our document where we put all the things that we want to talk about, Kelly put a note that this story arc is where we see how smart Sokka really is. There are like seven exclamation points. It's all in caps. <laughs> like she really wants to talk about how Detective Sokka is so smart. I said this before at the Northern Air Temple as well. So. Kelly, you know I'm on the bandwagon of respecting mm-hmm. Sokka because you put me on that bandwagon. But you cannot use this episode as evidence in that case, because the entire episode, Katara has every mystery first, and Sokka says, no, wait, be quiet, I want to solve it. <coughs> well, I think the thing is, he is building up all the pieces, and he's doing the big monologue, and Katara's like, these are too big. Like, she's pointing, he's like, yes, I'm getting to it. It's very much, um, I know you've seen this show, it's very much Psych with Sean and Gus. <laughs> You know, I've seen this show and you proceed to name my favorite show. Come on. Come on, son. It's very much that in trying to give that big dramatic moment. This is he's trying to make this his new identity. And here's Katara taking that away from him. He's like, yes, I did solve that case. I can solve this one. And he's already on. He's already on it. He's already about to say these things. But Katara jumps the gun each time. But I got to say, it shows just like how great their genes are that like both kids are really smart at solving this like centuries year old murder mystery. Well, of course, their genes are both great. They're cut from the same cloth. (laughs) I hate you so much. So much. You're not even ending the segment there. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I really, the clues that they end up finding about, you know, the foot size, what time of day, um, even looking at the marble and seeing like, this is really new and it's cut from the same thing as the temple. So the temple couldn't have been there. They're really digging into it. And it shows that, Team Avatar is not just like physically powerful, that they do have great skills of deduction uh, and, you know, strategy to be able to try and figure their way out of this. I mean, none of it really matters in the end because the justice system is just us. But <laughs> they, the effort that goes into the investigation, they take a day trip over to Kyoshi Island. 
I loved this. I like totally forgot that, you know, we go back. There's also a day trip in here. Yes, that we actually do go back. And I love Sokka asking about Suki, especially because I was thinking about this episode even more, especially in context with the swamp. And this is the first time I think I see Sokka start to try and move on from UA. And maybe his vision in the swamp, as much as it was hard for him to see, has kind of helped him in a way come to terms with his fear. Oh, that hurts because if he's starting, like if that wound is starting to heal in a way... It's just got to be extra devastating to him that a piece of his identity is taken from him this episode. Yes. And he's trying to find the new him. It's why he commits so hard to this investigation. It's why he gets so upset at Katara like, for jumping ahead because he's like, you have something. Let me have something. You guys went back for your stuff, but there's no time for me to go back for my stuff. And I've already lost so much, which is the second part that he doesn't say because he's too busy looking out for them. So this is Sokka really trying to find his identity post-UA. And we also get to see, I mentioned this on the Kiyoshi, the first Kiyoshi episode, that that was Suki's origin story. You did. I didn't understand it at the time. Yes. And we actually, they they say it here. We don't get to see Suki, but they say... um, that when the Avatar and Sokka and Aang and uh, Katara came here and helped them fight the Fire Nation and they got to meet them and understand what's going on in the world, it motivated her to take her place in the world and go and join the war, to take the rest of the Kyoshi warriors and try and be a force of good outside of the village and kind of bring an honor to Avatar Kyoshi by representing her in the world and representing Aang and being... um being a force for good and it kickstarts her yeah and i think it's it's interesting that the encounter with sokka and katara and ang is what motivates her in that regard because until then she's very much following what kiyoshi wanted that isolationism that that protection from the isolationism and we find out, you know, like in the events of Kyo- of the Kyoshi Island episode, you know, I, I, in the events of Kyoshi Island, which is confusing to say because we're back Kyoshi Island. But you know, in that episode, that isolationism is not a protection. It does not keep them safe. Kyoshi was wrong, and Suki recognizes that, and so you know, Kyoshi was wrong. So maybe, maybe these new people are right. Yep. And that she sees the Kyoshi warriors as not just a dedication to Kyoshi, but to the Avatar themselves. And that, you know, if this is what Aang is going out into the world to do, that is my purpose now as a Kyoshi warrior, as a representative of the Avatar. I need to go out there and represent the Avatar that's out there right now. And not just stay safe and isolated here. I need to take a risk and it is worth it to take that risk. And you meet new people and you'll try new things. So I'm really excited that, you know, they get to talk a little bit about Suki and that she's out in the world. And I remember, and I I think I have to read more on this because I think they weren't sure if Suki was going to come back. She was just kind of a fan favorite and they they didn't plan for her to come back. I'm pretty positive. Um, and she was just kind of a fan favorite. Uh, so coming back and it being like, oh, well, Suki's gone now, you know, like Su- Suki's off traveling the world is really an easy way of like, should we bring her back? Like, will they run into her in the world again? They very easily could have not run into her ever again. You know? Yeah. It's a big world. Or it but, could be a check off Suki. Or it could be a check off Suki. <laughs> You want to talk about the trial? Doom, doom. Yes. Yes, I do. Doom, doom. Really? We're doing yes. that? <laughs> it's very much it. This is a, this is a, this is a procedural show. That's what it is right now. We've done the investigation. We're in the trial. Okay. So let's talk about the trial and let's see what the Utes have to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I can make courtroom references too, huh? <laughs> I absolutely love Katara deciding to like, I'm calling it playing with fire by uh, not Earth, by trying to call forth Kyoshi. She's like, what if we just dress Aang up in all of this crap? 
and <laughs> see if we get Kiyoshi. And I'm like, you don't know what you're messing with. <laughs> like, I think she's very much still of the mind of like, oh, you know, Roku helped us out of that situation before. You know, like the the only other avatar that they've kind of like interacted with is Roku. He helped out at the um the temple, the fi- the fire temple. So they're like, how how bad could Kiyoshi be? And uh, and they get. Colonel Jessup. She does not mess. She shows around. up and she needs to say, "I did it. I killed him. What of it?" Yeah. And this is where it's so interesting because fandom. There's there's a very interesting like fandom perspective of Kyoshi of like she's a straight cold like straight cold murderer like that's just who she is. But reading the books, she's just really shy. She's just she's kind of an introvert. She doesn't like really talking to people. So she doesn't really, yeah, I did it. Like she has to kind of find her voice and she finds her voice in the end. And, um, you know, in, in this episode, I mean, not in the end of the series. Um, it's still going. So, but yeah, she finds her voice and uh, she does the other trait about Kyoshi is that she does everything big. There is no little with Kyoshi. She was the largest avatar uh, that we, you see with like the shoes that she wore and how tall she is. And uh, she cuts off a whole island using lava bending. Yeah. I mean, talk about dramatic. Yep. Yep. And also pretty dramatic, she takes corporeal form in front of everyone. Instead of just like the eyes light up and she speaks through Aang, she decides to make her full presence known. I wonder if that's because she has, like, because he has all the relics on him, you know? I mean, that's how I read it the first time and I just kept that view. I would, this time I would think so. Um, um, I respect it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, talk it's about. A power move. Yeah. The, the medium I, is the message. <laughs> I also think this is uh, one of the first times that we see the full powers of what an avatar can do. What a fully realized avatar has in their power to do. They can create entire new landforms should they should they choose to. Uh, and that there's that much control over the elements. And it makes you wonder, all right. When Aang can master all four elements, what will he do with them? Battle at the end? Battle at the end. Battle at the end. I think my favorite moment of this entire battle, and I really love a lot of it, Mm -hmm. is the... The Kiyoshi-esque smile, (laughs) the joy that Aang has in the moment when he is unleashed. Yes. When he's told, please save us, please go fight them. It's so not Aang. Yeah. He also refuses to fight at first. He's like, I'm supposed to be boiled in oil. Um, Sorry, I can't. And that doesn't seem very Aang. And then they're like, community service, community service. This is your community service. I think the uh, the face paint had an effect on him. Yeah. Yeah. But I like it. It's a good side to Aang. I think I've said before, Aang's temper is a really fascinating thing and how he uses it and and or chooses not to use his temper. Like, I can feel him holding something back there when he's just like, I'm supposed to be boiled in oil. Like, he's like, I've been really nice up until this point. And then you guys decided you were going to boil me in oil. And now. And now when you need me, you're going to be nice to me. Like, no, come on. Mm hmm. Yeah. So it is really cool to see the ties to the past avatars because you're like, Aang couldn't kill. And then you see Kiyoshi and then you're like, all right, maybe it's in him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Especially like. You figure if she just took corporeal form through him, like, maybe that left a bit of an imprint. Yes, especially when he uses the fans. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that. In such a similar way to how she used them, but just with a bit more airbending in it. Yeah, well, because I think I've said this before, uh, the fans are a traditional airbender weapon. Uh, 
while Kiyoshi wasn't was a native earthbender, her mom was an airbender and that's where those fans came from. And it's how she kind of channels her power is through the fans. It was how she was able to control all that big energy that she had into a point of the fan and an extension of herself. So the use of the fans to enter this battle just was really poignant for me. Also, best part of this battle, gets his bo- Sokka gets his boomerang back. He does. It he does, does always come back. It does always, always come back. I love that so much. Yeah, I really like how everyone in this battle on Team Avatar got a moment to fight in a really creative way. We have we have Katara using the water whip to take out the um the it's like the the chain ball. Yes, the flail. Yeah, yeah, that's the word I couldn't think of. The yeah. the flail that the one. Uh, rough rhino was wielding against yeah. her and then send his rhino on. She actually, even with the water whip, she freezes the water whip midair at one point. Yeah, yeah. Which is like a total mixture of styles. Mm-hmm. Um, Sokka has the arrow dodging move that gets <laughs> him the boomerang back. And and the way he throws the, uh, the balloon, the, not balloon, the bubble pipe. To put out the one arrow. Um, and then Aang's use of the fans, like you said. It's just, everybody is doing something that feels new to them. Yes. It's creative, creatively unique to each of them. And so, in an episode where at least one of them felt like he lost a sense of himself, and I think even Aang was trying to understand his sense of self, because Aang says he would never kill. He's a vegetarian. He would never kill anyone. And he's trying to understand his sense of self Um, for them to find something that is uniquely them really brings it all back together. You know, we didn't plan on talking about this, but it kind of emerged out of our conversation so far. I think this episode is really interesting in the way it seems to have this broader theme across a bunch of the storylines of not only personal boundaries, but also personal identity. Like this the interplay between boundaries and sense of self. And I just I don't know, I just wanted to quickly mention at the end here, like that's what we were talking about this whole time, and I don't think either of us went into our conversation with that plan. I didn't realize it until you said it. And I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, Zuko with his himself versus the blue spirit and who is truly Zuko. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Aang trying to figure out, is he truly a killer? Could yeah. he kill? Um, but even trying to kind of figure out what his feelings are in general, he's talking to a uh, prisoner about like, I really like this girl. I've, that's kind of my focus. I have to save the world? What do I do about that? And kind of trying to sort out some inner stuff. And then we have Sokka, who identified himself as Boomerang Guy, has always been Boomerang Guy, and now has to literally try on a different hat and be, you know, Investigator Guy, and ultimately lands back on Boomerang Guy. Yeah. I think, and I think... The person who really kind of figures out a bit more about themselves is maybe Sokka, who says, I can be both boomerang guy and investigator guy. I feel like he gets more confident in his investigation skills. I'm going to push against you immediately right now because I think think all three of them learn something about themselves. Oh, no, I'm not saying that they don't all learn something about themselves. I think his is the most complete thought right now. I think Aang is still trying to figure out why a former life of him would kill he, like, as much as Kiyoshi gives her reasoning, I don't think Aang agrees with that. And he still kind of has to recognize and, like the episode summary says, atone for previous sins in other lives. And he realizes, I think in this episode, how much he doesn't know. As much as that was him, he doesn't know what his past lives did. He didn't get the education that other avatars did 
about their history. So he's kind of <laughs> learning by stepping into the minefield and going, all right, what next? Um, and Zuko, I think, while he's testing boundaries and kind of trying to find that path of who he is and what he wants out of life, I think he is still very far from discovering that. He may have made kind of a breakthrough in saying, all right, I don't want to steal from everybody. I'm just going to steal from the privileged. But I think he still has a long way to go. Whereas I think Sokka was a little closer on his element of just, you know, he tied himself so intrinsically to Boomerang Guy that he did not allow himself to see himself for the qualities that he can bring to the team as well. And now that he's learned that he can also bring the investigator and, um, and planner and stuff like that, that he doesn't, he won't feel he has to rely on just his boomerang as much going forward. Even if he still has it and he's still he's like, yeah, I am boomerang guy. He feels a little stronger in his sense of self at the end of the day. Whereas I think while Zuko and Aang both learn stuff about themselves, they don't feel as confident in it yet as Sokka does. Mm. I think... I don't disagree with your assessment, but I do think you're downplaying the moment right before the battle at the end where Aang refuses to defend the village. I think that's kind of huge for him. Um, And I also think that you might be a little bit um, downplaying Zuko walking away from Iroh. I think that's a, a bigger step in Zuko's journey to figuring out himself by setting his boundaries then then maybe your argument acknowledges i don't disagree that they're big steps i think they're not as confident in their choices at the time mm. and that's where i that's where i see the difference those are very big steps but they're not confident that yes this is the correct path got it well, I yeah, okay, I can I can get behind that, and I I do think that Sokka yeah, is that's that's what I'm saying. I think Sokka's more confident that yeah. yes, I can contribute more than just my boomerang. Whereas at the end of the day, Zuko is still like he's like I need to walk away from Ira right now. This is probably what's best, probably right. I mean, he said some nice things, and Aang is like. I don't have to help anybody, you know, if I don't want to. But should I? And what did other past lives do? There's still a bit more questioning in them. Well, yeah, and I think of course there is because, yeah. like, they don't get answers to their questions in the way that Sokka does. Sokka, you know, has that that moment of of self determination, and it is immediately followed through on by the world. Yes, there's resolve and validation for Sokka yes. that both Zuko and Aang do not get at the end of this episode. Oh, okay. Got it. Now we're on the same page. Yeah. We got there. <laughs> this is how we do things. Thank you for listening to The Pie Show. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash 25. If you'd like to reach us, you can send us a tweet at The Pie Show or email us at thepieshowpodcast at gmail.com. My God, 25 episodes. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. Cool. Quarter of the and way to a hundred. E- next episode, we meet my girl. I feel like I've been saying this about like every female character we've introduced, though. So. Every single one is your girl. Every single one. Suki, my girl. Kiyoshi, my girl. Katara, your girl. <laughs> Azula, my girl. <laughs> every single one. You know what? I stand by it. <laughs> So at the beginning of this episode where Sokka loses his sense of self because they make time to go back for Katara's waterbending scrolls. They make time for Aang to go back and get his staff, but they don't give Sokka the time to get his boomerang. He kind of foreshadows some season three items when he is talking to them about what it feels like to lose a sense of self. We are going to be talking about season three spoilers. So the three of you that listen to this show that have not actually watched the whole show through, this episode is over for you right now. It's over. Done. I'm sorry. You have to wait for next week. There's nothing left (laughs) for you here. Rewatchers continue. Um, So we foreshadow three things. So Sokka talks about losing his boomerang. And in the final battle, he 
loses Boomerang. And he says, I don't think Boomerang's coming back this time. Oh, that hurts. Oh, I know, I know. I got chills just saying it again. Um, He says, what if Aang lost his arrow? Season three, Aang wakes up and he has to grow hair. He's grown hair covering his arrow. And he has to hide his arrow for most of season three. And he goes through an identity crisis not showing his arrow. Yeah. So that's a big deal for him to identify. And then um, it says, Katara, or if you lost your hair loopies. And in season three, she does stop doing her hair loopies so she can blend in more with the Fire Nation. This is also the first recorded time of calling them hair loopies. Do we refer to them as hair loopies again? Yes. <laughs> specifically when Sokka's drawing he draws a picture of her at some point and she's like she's like what's going on with why do I have Momo's ears and he's like those aren't Momo's ears those are your hair loopies (laughs) (laughs) um there is reference to the hair loopies and that's what they're called in fandom and like there were kind of called that way in fandom, but also then were called that in the show and so it is a true term for hair loopies but yeah, it's really interesting to see. And it makes me want to see when exactly Katara loses her hair loopies. Because I know Aang losing his arrow is a huge blow to his sense of self. I want to see when Katara starts to feel she's losing her sense of self. Doesn't she lose her hair loopies at one point in season two? When? When she and Toph get all dolled up. No, they're still there. Are they? Yeah. Her hair is just done up differently in the back. But the loopies are still technically there. Well, she takes her hair down a couple times, and there are no loopies when she takes her hair down. It's still pinned back in the way that it... Um, okay, I'm going to stop arguing and just wait and see and watch. Yeah. And remember think, and point out. I think the moment is when she goes to find her mother's killer. Ooh. I think that's when it is, from what I'm picturing, because I think it's just two strands in front, and it's not actually looped back. But it might be before then, and I want to see when it is. Yeah, because the hair loopies breaking, like from a symbolic standpoint, is so much different from the hair loopies just not being there. It also might be when she becomes the spirit, the, uh, the what's it? The, the painted lady. lady. The painted lady. I think it might be when she's the painted lady as well. Mm. So um, I want to see when it is. I don't, I don't know, and I don't want to look it up. I want to surprise myself. I mean, they really just, with the significance it plays in the show, they should have just named it Avatar The Last Hairbender. <laughs> 